0: So again, a warm welcome uh, to our 1030 traditional service here at the Buffalo Grove campus of Kingswood Church and a special welcome uh, to our guests both here in person and those online. We welcome you. Uh, as we continue this sermon series a breath of fresh air, uh, doing a new thing for God. we started this last week because we're in the midst of a lot of newness, right we We've adopted a congregation in Deerfield and now have two campuses. It's a new school year. Uh, it's a new ministry year. And so lots of new beginnings. And a number of you are, are embracing new jobs and new possibilities and new beginnings. So it seems great to talk about how God is doing a new thing in our midst. Last week we talked about St. Paul, uh, formerly known as Saul. You remember he's on the road to Damascus. Uh, He's been creating all kinds of havoc for the church, persecuting Christians, and then a sudden flash of light changes this whole world, right? I mean, he suddenly can't see, and this poor guy named Ananias, who didn't really want to, has to go visit him, and through the work of the Spirit, Saul, who later becomes Paul, uh, receives his sight, and then his life is transformed. He's baptized and he becomes a key leader in the church, right? I mean, if it weren't for Paul, we would not have a lot of these New Testament books, right? Like 1 Corinthians and the books we treasure, which were letters that he wrote. So, all of the book of Acts, a lot of it is around the Holy Spirit's work at transforming people's lives. And, and the book of Acts is a history of the church written by the same author as the Gospel of Luke. And so, uh, today, we'll spend some time with, uh, with Acts again, hearing the story of Philip. But first, I want to go back to the scriptures that have been our centering scriptures uh, for this whole series from the book of Isaiah, which is in Hebrew scripture or Old Testament scripture. Isaiah was a prophet, and uh, he wrote a lot about helping the exiles to kind of embrace their new reality, right? Uh, so you, you may remember this, the exiles were... Uh, Israelites who were taken from Jerusalem and other places, and they were taken to Babylon, which is in current day Baghdad, Iraq area. And uh, they were left there uh, as a way of of destroying the rebellion that they had begun in seventy AD during Jesus's time against the Romans, but more importantly, this is about the exile with the Babylonians. And so they're taken to Jeru- away from Jerusalem, and they're placed in Babylon. And their temple is destroyed, and everything they know is no more, right? Amen? And so we know two temple destructions, but this is the first. So, what's interesting is, can you imagine being taken from your home in Buffalo Grove or Long Grove or Wheeling or Wheaton or wherever it may be, taken away and placed in some far off place, you know, like Iowa, right? And uh, Nikki would know that, right? And uh, well, there's several Iowans in the choir, right? Can you imagine being in a new place and having to figure it out? And that's what's happening, right, to these exiles. They're longing for what was. They're longing for what had been. And they're longing to return to what they know. And I think we all get a sense of that longing, right? We know that. We we've all are missing people we love. Amen, right? Uh, we can think of dear loved ones who have passed on and we miss them. Maybe relationships that have ended. Maybe we've moved to a new place. And though we're in this new beginning, we long for what we used to know, right? I mean, that would be a part of that as well. The pandemic alone, right? uh all the time I hear people say, well, that was pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. Anyone have that conversation, right? And we're often saying, oh, do you remember how it used to be before 2020, right? I mean, and, and sometimes, I don't know about you, I long for those days. Well, I knew things better then. I could figure things out better then. The world we live in now, in many ways, I don't recognize. So we've all been in that deep place of longing and desiring and maybe even a deep sense of homesick, Right. of of this desire to go back uh, to what we've known. But Isaiah knows that if the exiles focus and long and sit around and and just lament about not being where they want to be, they'll never move forward, right? They'll never have a future. They'll never begin to build forward, and they'll never be able to be prepared when the time for return comes. And when they return, it will not be as they thought it would be. I know my mom, we had a family reunion many years ago and returned to her hometown. I hadn't been there for years. I went as a child in uh, junior high and high school and early college, but hadn't been there for years. And you know how you imagine this place to be a certain way? And I imagined all these things to be intact. And when we arrived in that small town in the middle of Kansas, I didn't even recognize it. And I felt a deep sense of loss because it's not what I imagined. And we all know that feeling of hoping to return to something that is no longer there. And Isaiah knows that if the exiles don't have a sense of God doing a new thing now, they'll never be able to see what God will do then. Hear the words. They're really helpful. We've been living with this all through the series, but I want you to hear them again. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. That's hard. Sometimes I like former things, right? Sometimes I long for the way it used to be. Sometimes I long for people to be present that are no longer. But then in verse 19, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The prophet is helping us see that God desires for us to see the new thing, to embrace the new possibility. And, you know, uh, in the ancient world, especially with Israelites, there was this belief that there would be a way made, right? You know, between Jerusalem and Iraq is a lot of desert, right? And it's a hard road, dangerous, dry, not a lot of uh, nourishment or care along the way. So, there was this belief that when God returned the exiles back to Jerusalem, to Judah and Israel that indeed God would pave a highway, that God would make a way, and there would be a sense of flourishing and beauty and water in the midst of the desert. And that's what Isaiah wants folks to hear. Do you see the new thing God is doing? Can you perceive it? Are you able to let go of the past to embrace what's happening now? Amen, right? So those, those words are helpful for us today as we begin to think about Uh, Embracing a new journey. Last week we talked about how God calls us to transform lives and how Paul's life was transformed and how Ananias' life was transformed by being open to the Holy Spirit's work. Today uh, we, we talk about how the Holy Spirit leads us to a new thing when people come alongside us or we come alongside others. In the journey of life, right? And you know how important that is, right? When you've been in a difficult place and somebody is there for you, when you are sick and somebody cares for you, when you're grieving and somebody sustains you, you know what I'm saying, it, those things are helpful. They, they help us and people are always crying out for that companionship, that coming alongside that can transform the world. Two summers ago, I was in a difficult place. You know, my dad had passed away. My mother had moved near my sister. She was not doing well. It had been a a kind of a challenging coming out of the pandemic year here. And I was just worn out and tired and sad and kind of longing for what used to be. And two of my friends, uh, John and Tony, said, let's get out of town. And we're going to do something really exciting. And so they rented an Airbnb kind of cottage Uh, in southern Michigan. I was kind of hoping for something a little more exotic, right? Uh, Like maybe Puerto Rico or Hawaii. But anyway, we were on Union Lake in southern Michigan. And we arrived late at night and settled into this small cottage. Uh, There were three spaces to sleep. Two were up in Lost. One was in the basement because of this body. I got the basement, which I was grateful for. Amen. And I went to bed kind of tired and exhausted and thinking I had too much to do. And when I woke up the next morning, because I'm an early riser, they were still asleep, and I went up and made the coffee, and I went out on this deck that overlooked this lake. And the sun was rising over the lake, and there was a cool breeze blowing directly into me off the lake, just this deep sense of fresh air. And as I sipped the coffee and watched the sun rise over that beautiful little lake, there was a sense of refreshment. I took a deep breath and I said, God, what am I going to do and where are you leading me and how are we going to go forward? How am I going to make it out of this grief that I feel and this loss that I know? How am I going to make it? And in those moments, there was a deep sense of God's presence. And then my friends woke up and came alongside. And that whole morning, they just sat with me on the balcony as we drank coffee and talked about all of it, right? What a gift. Amen? when people come alongside us, when people are there for us in a moment where we need someone to listen and hear and encourage and help us see the new thing, right, to see the new possibility. Today's story is about coming alongside. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament. I've already mentioned, this is a history book of the early church written by the same author of the book of Luke. And, um, and it's, it's a powerful story. And as I said, we've already talked about uh, the story of Paul. Next week we'll talk about Paul and Silas. Uh, but today we're talking about Philip. Now I want to say a little bit about Philip before we get to today's story. Philip is kind of an obscure person and appears for a while and then kind of disappears. But he's kind of critical at the beginning of the, of the emergence of the church and the coming alongside of other people. You remember Saul was persecuting people. Stephen had died, and the persecution ramped up quite a bit. And so a lot of the leadership left Jerusalem because it wasn't safe, and they scattered everywhere, Philip included. A few people stayed in Jerusalem, but on the whole, others went different places. Philip goes north of Jerusalem to a region called Samaria. Have you heard of Samaria? Are you awake out there? Samaria, you know it, all right. Samaria is a region just north of Jerusalem. Uh, The Samaritans... We uh, were kind of despised by uh, the Jews. If you remember, they had been part of the whole kingdom of Israel, but when the Assyrians much earlier had invaded, they mixed with them, and so they were considered unclean. And so you didn't have anything to do with Samaritans, right? You know what I'm saying? So that's where we are, right? But Philip feels a call from the Holy Spirit. To go to Samaria. And he goes there and he begins to preach in Samaritan cities about Jesus. And Samaritans, surprisingly, embrace Jesus and convert and become part of the church. And it's kind of crazy, right? And there's even a magician named Simon who changes his whole career after a much difficult journey because of the transformation of Christ. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the gospel had not only gone to Jews in the area, but now Philip was preaching in Samaria, they sent John and Peter there to check it out. They're kind of the observers, right? And they see the work that Philip has done, the sharing of the gospel in Samaria, and they pray for the Holy Spirit to come, and the Holy Spirit comes, and things go crazy. The church explodes in Samaria. And for me, I think, well, Philip, well done. This is your job They'll name a church after you, and you can retire. Amen, right? But that's not who Philip is, and it's certainly not who the Holy Spirit is. So if you're with me, chapter 8 of Acts, verse 26, hear the story. Then an angel of the Lord, or it can also be translated a messenger of the Lord, said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a wilderness road. So here's Philip. He's been north of Jerusalem in kind of a populated area, and maybe he thinks he's going somewhere exciting and the Holy Spirit's going to lead him there, but the angel, the messenger, says you're going to go a different place. Now, if there's anything I can teach you, if an angel shows up in your life and says you're going to do something, your life's going to change. Amen? Right? Angels change things, right? So the angel invites him to go to this desert road, this deserted road that's just southwest of Jerusalem, on the way to Gaza, which would eventually go on to Egypt, right? Now this road is a difficult road. It's in the midst of the desert. There's nothing attractive about it. Um, it's it's dangerous. It's lonely. Uh, uh, but Philip, I love this about Philip. He doesn't debate it or say, "Is there a better place? Or can I get a review and maybe get a different assignment?" Philip says, "I'll go." I'll go to this wilderness road. So he got up, and he went in the middle of the day, which is the worst time to be on a desert road, right? Heat of the day, noon, it's terrible. And as he gets there, there's an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candacy, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning home seated in his chariot. So, all of a sudden, we're introduced to the second person in the story, and it's not who we expected, right? First of all, it's an Ethiopian. It could be someone from Ethiopia, most likely somebody from Nubia, the Nubians, which would be in southern Egypt or in today's present-day Sudan, but it could be Ethiopia. He was a court official, which means he had prominence. He was not just anybody. In fact, he was in charge of the whole financial piece for the Candace, that's the name of the queen, not her formal name, but the title of the queen of Ethiopia or the Namibians, right? And so he's in charge. He's the secretary of finance, if you will, right? He's in charge. And, and he's in a chariot on this desert road, headed home after having been in Jerusalem. And he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. And now he's returning home, seated in the chariot. So it's interesting. We don't know whether he has converted to Judaism. Probably unlikely because he's a eunuch, which means he has been castrated so that the queen's royal line will be protected by his service, right? You see what I'm saying? Uh, or we don't know if he's a proselyte who has somewhat converted, or if he's just a God-fearer. There were many in the ancient world who loved the God of Israel, and he was on a pilgrimage, I think, and had been at the temple. And whether he worshiped in the outer courtyards where Deuteronomy 23 would allow it, or whether he actually was able to go in, we don't know. But he clearly has an inquiring mind, an open heart to God. Amen, right? And as he was leaving, I guess, he stopped at the gift shop and bought a copy of Isaiah, right? Right. And it's really a scroll probably spread out across the chariot and probably some horses and maybe some people with him. And they're going along and he's reading. And I know you know this, but in the ancient world, when people read, they read out loud, right? And so he's reading out loud in the chariot, having left after this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, I just want to remind you, Luke loves the prophet Isaiah. It's always fulfillment to the prophet Isaiah. He will quote Isaiah in the book of Luke. He will quote Isaiah in the book of Acts. He always wants to show how Jesus is connected to this. So, the Spirit says to Philip, go over to the chariot and join it. Now, that's kind of hard, I think, right? You've just left all these people. You've had this amazing experience. John and Peter have validated your ministry and you thought you were going somewhere else, and now you're on this desert road in the middle of nowhere on the way to Gaza, and there's this Ghana chariot, and he doesn't look like you, and the Spirit says, you need to go up to the chariot. And I I try to think about that, how Philip just says yes, right? I love Philip. I wish you were all like Philip, right? I wish everyone said yes to everything, right? Amen? Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be fun? Hello? Yes? So... Philip goes to the chariot. In fact, he doesn't just step over. He doesn't question it. He runs up to it. And he hears the guy reading the prophet Isaiah. And I just want you to think about that. Here's Philip. Not only does He's not just walking up to a chariot. He's going to have to keep up with the chariot. And I don't know about chariot speeds, but I assume they're higher than walking, right? And so this, he's running along. He hears that the eunuch is reading the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip runs up and he asks, and I, I, I always I want to say it like I think it was going, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch replies, How can I unless someone guides me? Right? I think that's really more how it went. Amen, right? And then maybe the chariot stops, right? Because it would be hard for Philip to get into a chariot in motion, right? And so the chariot stops. And the eunuch invites Philip to get in and sit beside him. Another pretty risky thing. I I mean, I'm hearing my mother say, stranger danger, stranger danger, right, you know? But Philip gets in and sits beside this man. And then he hears that the passage he's reading is this from Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb, silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him who can describe this generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch turns to Philip as they're going along in the chariot, because now they're back moving. And he says, about whom, may I ask you, is the prophet speaking? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? And then Philip sees the wisdom The Spirit helps him to see this guy is inquiring, he's interested, he has a love for God, he wants to know more, he's inquiring, he's learning, and Philip spends all this time as they travel along sharing the good news of Jesus. It's an amazing story. We don't know what they say, we don't know what the conversation is, we don't know all that Philip says, but I assume it's a lot because eventually as they come along, they come to a place of water. And the eunuch says to Philip, hey, here's some water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? Or in one translation, what's to hinder me from being baptized? He has a sense that he's ready to commit to Christ, and he's ready to be baptized and come into the life of the church. So he commanded the chariot to stop, and both he and Philip, they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Amen? Amen. And when they came up out of the water... The Spirit snatched Philip away. I just have a problem with that, right? Not even time for a baptism reception with cake. Amen, right? I just would love a little bit of a celebration. But Philip is a messenger, and the Holy Spirit's always calling him to a new place. But it doesn't really bother the, the eunuch because, in fact, it says he rejoiced all the way home. He rejoiced. He was full of gladness because of Philip's coming alongside him and building a relationship and sharing the good news and leading him to baptism and a commitment to follow. Philip ends up in Azotus and then he passes through that northern region, he proclaims the good news to all these towns until he comes to Caesarea, which is Caesarea Meritamos, which if you were on the trip to Israel and you visited Caesarea, which Herod built on the shores of Mediterranean, you know what I'm talking about. Amen, right? So I find this story amazing because it's it's a powerful story of sharing the faith in a way that makes so much sense to me. Here's a person the eunuch, is inquiring and learning and his heart's open and he has a place of trying to figure things out. We don't know if he's in distress. We don't know if he's struggling. We don't know if he's all fine. But for whatever reason, he's been a seeker. And then we encounter Philip, who's a yes person, who every time the angel or messenger calls him or the spirit calls him, he says yes and ends up alongside other people, whether it's the Samaritans or Simon, the magician, or now Philip with the eunuch, right? You know what I'm saying? And it's powerful because he comes alongside. He doesn't have a tract. He doesn't tell the Ethiopian he's going to burn in hell, right? That's not what happens here. Do you hear that? He shares the good news of who Jesus is for his life. That's powerful. And it's an example for you and me as we think about doing a new thing. Where is God calling you and me to come alongside other people? Certainly, we're good at coming alongside people in service and ministry, right? Food pantry, amen. Uh, Thrift store, amen. Pad shelter, amen. Uh, uh, Affordable housing in Deerfield, amen. Those are things of service, and they're important. Amen? Right. But what if God is calling you and me to come alongside people in personal relationship, to share our faith in a way that might answer their inquiring heart. People are looking. Do you know that Barna Research believes now that 30 to 40, maybe even 45% of this country are nuns? And I'm not talking about people who wear a habit. Amen, right? Nuns. No affiliation to religion whatsoever. Do you hear that? At least 30, maybe 40, possibly 45% of the whole nation is no longer affiliated with any kind of religion at all. And what would it mean for us to hear their brokenness, hear their need, hear their space for belonging, and be able to come alongside them, as Philip did, and express our faith and invite them in? Not in a tracked, scary way, because that's what happens. Everybody dismisses that. But what if it means we build relationship and invite people to church, right? Because life is good, and the good news is transforming, and... We often think there'll be another Philip, and surely I'm not Philip. But here's the truth, friends. We're all Philip, right? God is always calling us into relationship with people. God is always presenting us an opportunity for building relationship. God is always inviting us to invite, right? Always. Yesterday, I got up early, I had a full day, and I needed to go to Jewel, right? So I got to Jewel. And I got out, and I thought, i got to get all this stuff done, and i got to get back, and i get my sermon finished, and I've got three things to do, and I had a concert last night, and blah, 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 blah. And, and I got to Jewel, and I got, my, I, I got myself together, and I'm headed toward the door. And as I'm headed toward the door, right by the main door, is someone selling something, right? You know what I'm talking about. If you live here in Buffalo Grove, it's always the north door, right? And there's always a table, and it's usually children, right? And, and, you know, and so, and I'm, I'm just being honest. Can we be honest here, right? Can we? I was like, how can I get around that and not have to buy anything, right? Really? I don't know if you do strategic planning around that, but I'm thinking, well, now if I go way over here and act like I'm looking at the mums, maybe I can get in, right? You know what I'm saying? So yesterday I, I saw that it was the Boy Scouts selling popcorn, and I was like, I don't need popcorn. I want popcorn, but I don't need it. So I'm gonna somehow make it. And thank God this woman engaged them and I slipped right in. (laughs) I did my shopping, but the whole time in the back of my head, Gene, I'm thinking, how am I gonna get by them? And I thought, is there another entrance? Is there another way to get out? I know it's crazy. Anybody else do this, right? I know you do. You're all looking so angelic today, but I know you do. And so it's usually poppies or cookies or whatever, right? And uh, so I'm like, i, I got to get beyond this. So I kind of waited by uh, the red box, and then it was clear I wasn't going to get out, and I needed to get home, so I just went. And I went right by it, and, and I heard this young man say, would you like popcorn today to support the Boy Scouts? And I'm ashamed to tell you I just shoved on by, right? <laughs> and as I got, I know it's terrible. I know you're shocked. You'll get over it. Amen, right? And so I was like, oh, my gosh, I got by it. right?" But just as I rounded into the parking lot, I heard the mom say, well, I guess he doesn't care. Wow. Now, you would hope your pastor would turn around at that point, but I didn't. I just wanted to get home. So I'm headed down. I take my cart. I put my bags in the car. I've opened the pa- my door to get in the car, and I feel this deep sense of dread and sort of a voice. I didn't hear it clearly. Is this who you want to be? No. Adam Hamilton, pastor of Church of the Resurrection calls it holy nudging. I call it holy manipulation. But anyway, right? You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Is this who you want to be? No. So I closed the door and I went back. And I met this fine young man who's just trying to support his troop. And I had a conversation with his mother. I introduced who I am, which I hope helps the church, maybe not, who knows, right? And we had this simple 10-minute, con- maybe five-minute conversation, right? And about $40 worth of popcorn, amen, right? You know, right. Be glad to share next Sunday, right, right? But I, as I walked away, and I, I, I don't know if those folks will end up here or not, But I heard God say, is this who you want to be? And I heard God say, are you going to be Philip? It's five minutes, James. It's not hard. You're not that important. You're not that busy. Here's an opportunity. Are you going to take it? Or are you not? Friends, you're presented with that all the time. At work, in your neighborhood with the people you work with, care for, stand with, sing with, serve with, volunteer with, God is always calling you to that desert road, always calling me to that desert road. And somehow we believe we're too busy or or too whatever to do it, and God's saying, you're the Philip, here's the moment, this is the chance, are you going to do this? Are you going to do a new thing? Are you going to do something new? Do you perceive it? Can you let go of the past and the things that we tend to focus on, which are more about us than they are about others, amen? And are we going to embrace this new reality of being Philip, whether it's at work or at Wheeling High School or whether it's here or whether it's Jewel or wherever it may be? God is always calling. And I'm not talking about tracks and, and, and pressure. Do you hear that? That's where, how we dismiss it. I'm talking about relationship and acknowledgement. How is God calling you and me alongside the chariot of others to be a sign of good news and welcome and healing? Well, surely, Pastor, there's another Philip in the room. Yeah, there is. It's you.